Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. Uh, on this episode, uh, I'm sitting in the parking lot of the Stone Church Music Club in Newmarket, New Hampshire, just before sunset. Just finished recording with a longtime friend, John Nolan. John Nolan is one of the singers and songwriters of the um, Roots Rock Americana band Seizuzu, and also the singer-songwriter of his solo project, John Nolan and Good Company. Um, known John for a long time and had wanted to do this for a while, so it was, it was cool to get together with him, sit down, and record. Uh, it was very appropriate. We recorded in the Stone Church, which is... Um, uh, at the top of the hill in uh, downtown Newmarket, which the band was born in. And uh, yeah, it, we kind of went through the history of Seizuzu and his 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 journey as a solo artist and, you know, being, a, being another guy in his uh, uh, late 40s, uh, balancing family life and doing music. And yeah, it was just great to catch up with John. And uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Nolan. Yeah. Is the fridge noise going to be okay? It'll be fine. I'm sure Duncan Watt, who's listening to this right now, is like, no, it's not fine. Do something else. But it's not outside, Duncan. Yeah. That was uh, a. Well, you can open the green room if you'd rather. Try that. Doesn't matter to me. No, I think it'll be fine. There's so much. It's funny, like, the. We should take a minute and be quiet. There, that'll do. Because then it can use isotope or something else to capture the sound and eliminate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Right. (laughs) Well, it's funny. This is the podcast that was like, has been like my passion one, the one that where I, you know, talk to artists, writers, creators. And I just carry these little recorders and set up wherever, mm-hmm. where the one that is just dick and fart jokes, we do it in a temperature controlled, soundproof, like classic. Yeah. I'm yeah. just like, yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. So, is that the podcast called Dick and Fart Jokes? In a manner of speaking. Yeah. No, that's news of my, news of my demise. It's with a guy that I used to work with years ago, but Duncan does jujitsu with so oh, nice. and and so that's how it all came george what's that george not george no yeah. gary oh, cool. gary so um because he had years ago he reached out to me and he's like hey i want to do a podcast do you want to co-host with me and i was like mm-hmm. sure he's yeah. like let me tell you what it is i was like it's fine but i already said sure like yeah you know and then because duncan had his his mm-hmm. podcast network so yeah yeah but it's the seacoast it's small yeah everyone knows everyone we do. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, it's funny, I jumped on, like, I've been familiar with Seizuzu since, if not, like, the formation pretty soon after. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the mid-1990s, at the tail end of the 1900s. Yes. Um, you know, because I was briefly making music as well, but... I so I jumped on the Wikipedia page today, which I didn't even know that you guys had a Wikipedia yeah. page till today. Big doings. Um, and there was there was a couple releases before Highway Signs and Driving songs that yep. I was not familiar with. I'm assuming those are either 
cassettes or demo releases or they EPs? were cassettes yeah 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 there was a um you know uh, a band that james my brother and cliff and i started while we were in high school and so james and cliff and i you know started a band in 1987 and essentially you know we just changed some names and right. stumbled across the incredible name Seizuzu in 1992. Right. That's sarcasm in case it doesn't come through. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we released a tape in 91 um, yeah. called Seizuzu to the Grocer Man, which eventually was where our name came from. And yeah. had another record called Tribal Moans, which is uh, uh, not only an unfortunate title, but an unfortunate collection of songs. Uh, <laughs> funny. Um and endearing, but also out of print on purpose. Sure. And sure. then there, we had a, an eponymous release. I think that was a, a tape that came out in 92. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, it was a six on tape and then eventually became the eponymous, uh, release uh, with like 18 tracks. So anyway, nice. there's a shit ton of say shit out there. Right. Just, was it, um, were those all under the Seizuzu name or were they, were any of them under Zuzu's pedals before that? Seizuzu to the Grocery Man was under Zuzu's pedals, yeah. Okay. And, right. uh, you know, Kevin Geyer, who um, owned Rock Bottom Records. R.I.P. R.I.P. No, Rock Bottom, not yeah, Kevin. that's right. Happily, Kevin is well yeah. and living on his estate in yeah. Oxford, Mississippi. But, yeah, yeah no, um, a great uh, girl group, Trio, had a minor college hit in the 90s with the same name. and Yeah their stuff actually started selling and um, local customers became confused. And Kevin was like, I'm not selling your stuff anymore. You're going to have to change your name. So sure. That's when we changed it. Did you ever consider it changing it to vitamin C to clear up any confusion? Oh. <laughs> no. Sorry. That's no. a, that's only for uh, 1990s uh, yeah. Seacoast music right. fans. Uh, it's a small, small group of people who will find that hilarious, but it right. will kill with them. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's the audience I'm going for. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> that's right. Um, I also found out that um, there's a live in Germany. There is album. Yeah. Is that is that anywhere now? Like, or, or just it's, yeah, just... it's on. Uh, we don't um, we don't we don't have any for sale. Yeah, but um, at the end of you know the first era of Seizuzu, we were on a German record label, Blue Rose Records, and they uh, put out our final studio recording. And, and while we were touring in support of it, they filmed a, what they called like a um, like a high quality bootleg, essentially. Sure. So it was a real recording, but they just had a, you know a few cameras. So this is actually a live CD DVD you can get online. Oh, nice! But we don't have any. Right. So, but they're for sale out there. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Today was the first day I ever because yeah. I have the just the Seizuzu live. Yep. One and I think the only one of your albums I don't have anymore is the Highway Signs and Highway Signs and, Signs and Driving songs, yeah. which. That's always a mouthful for me to say. Yeah. And I've, and I've owned it before. Yeah. I just, you know, moving to Arizona, moving back, having yeah. a record store. Knows, yeah. You know. Stuff goes away. Several roommates, you know, mm. one apartment robbery. Who knows? Oh, no. I'd, I'd like to think maybe the guy that broke into my house, because he did steal about 100 CDs. Maybe he's out there listening to. That would be amazing. Say Zuzu. Yeah. Uh, a sign of a poor thief, yeah. perhaps. They were like, ooh. Score. Unless it would be even more amazing. So maybe he's like an Italian Uber fan and he's like, I can't find Seizu anywhere. Yeah. In Arizona. This guy's got it. Yeah. I'm gonna break in. I'll take some other stuff to throw him off the scent of why I broke in. Maybe mm -hmm. that's what he was looking for. Looking for an authentic 
first run uh, U.S. domestic yeah. thing. There, I'll tell you this. Um, we, um, for a time, were licensed uh, by an Italian um, distributor yeah. when Bull came out, and they didn't know that the color of the album cover was the color of the paper. And yeah. so we gave them the art when they printed it. So there's, I don't know, at least a thousand Bull records in Italy with a white cover. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if we ever do become quite a thing, there will be like much salt after. Right. You know, That'll be like unreleased. That. It'll be like that upside down plane stamp. Right. Of um, frumpy New England roots rock bands. That, that'll be your Beatles butcher cover yeah. uh, version of it. Interesting. Yeah, because it was. Uh, where do we fit in your brain in the nineties? Like, what were you, what were you listening to in the nineties, and where did Seizuzu sort of fit into your mind in terms of? local tunes or your own record collection. It's funny because like I looked at the timeline and like, cause my own band that I played in, in high school and then a couple of years afterwards. So mm-hmm. I started playing this band like 93. Mm-hmm. I think we, the last thing we did was like 96 or 97, but you guys had already been a band at that point. Mm-hmm. And so and I don't think we ever played on the same bill, mm. but it was, you guys have been doing it for several years, so it was like this huge, this huge band. Mm. Um, but looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, you guys it's are pretty cool, good. right? It's pretty cool to be talking to you right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's uh, I'm, look at me now. I remember <laughs> my daughter dropping me off a couple yeah. of years ago. Was was you and and uh, Tim from Heavens to Murgatroyd and. Mm-hmm. Might have been Mark or it might have been John McCormick. It was just in flight. And I was like, oh, wow, like high school me would have been psyched. And I know all of you guys yeah. like personally now, but it was yeah. just like, you know. Um, I, Dudes I, from the scene, like you're like, there they are. Yeah, yeah for I know sure. That like. That's John McCormick. <laughs> that was, oh, there's John McCormick of Fly Swims Fly right. playing video games in the arcade next to me. Right. Very cool. Right. Well, it was, you know, the other night I, I saw Scissor Fight and I was talking to mark beforehand and someone else i knew like came up and was like oh i'm sorry to interrupt oh and afterwards they're like is that the dude from the pretty reckless i'm like yes he's like how do you know him i was like i I, i've known him 20 something years it's just kind of like it but it's it's funny it's perspective because like i look at the like at the time i was listening to like the seattle stuff Mm -hmm. but we all were. Yeah, but it was like, that was like my formative time listening to music, so I wasn't like differentiating where like, because now I look at it more as like, oh, well, Soundgarden was sort of like the Led Zeppelin, hmm. where Alice Chains had more like uh, like a Black Sabbath, like more of a metal edge. Mm-hmm. Nirvana was like punk, and you know, hmm. Pearl Jam's kind of like the Who, where like, same thing with the, the Seacoast scene, where Good one. you guys definitely have like a country tinge you know um yep. americana uh, yep. for sure and you know fly is just like weird metal rap yes. uh you know monster truck energy and <laughs> you know uh scissor fight just you know vikings with flannel shirts and work yeah. boots on uh, yeah but it was to me it was all just like oh it was just there's bands in the music mm-hmm. scene like i didn't even like wasn't like, oh, this band sounds different, this band sounds different. Yeah. But I think also at the time, that was really, you know, like the mid-90s was the first time, like... There was a lot going on, but we were never... My observation at that time was there was a lot, a lot of music, and there was a very um, very enthusiastic scene that was happy to engage all the tunes, but we weren't so big 
that we were like home to like I guess jam and punk there were a few many bands in those genres here right the rest of them we were all kind of like one and twos you know right it wasn't like their scissor fight was the only scissor fight right the only thing approaching scissor fight fly was and still is the only fly ever that ever was right Right. flash bunch fly but um you know drive into another scene and you might find some other bands that were similar to that sure but um so i get that yeah you weren't thinking in terms of genres no but i also wasn't really aware like at that point i wasn't aware of magnitude of like how much like how often bands were playing out like i knew who played at the elvis room a lot sure um which and and I knew like oh some of these bands play in Boston like you know I remember Fly Spitch Fly played with Cypress Hill at um, the Field yeah. House at UNH yeah and so I was just like oh there they must be a huge band then like and I knew I remember you know from the '90s hearing that you know you guys had toured overseas and mm-hmm. you know had a, an Italian fan base so I yeah. was like. Oh, these guys must be huge. <laughs> so, I mean, like back in the day, how how? Because I also we were we were in Italy for a minute, right? It was exciting right. times. And didn't you? Did you guys? I I forget, and maybe I'm completely making this up. But either you let's make some stuff up. Let's make some stuff up. Didn't you either tour with Willie Nelson, or you guys recorded? No, something? no. no. Um, but let's let's just say that, yes, we toured with Willie Nelson. Bastard no. Sons of um, Willie Nelson? Yeah, no, that would have been great. Uh, the Willie story is, um, well, in the 90s, we, we all got into cigars. Um, you know, Cliff um, never drank. I'm a former drinker, yeah. you know, person in long-term recovery now, and James could sort of take it or leave it. So we didn't really drink, you yeah. know, and um, we got into cigars. Okay. And so we were really nerdy about cigars for a minute in the 90s, in the mid-90s. And uh, James was waiting to meet Cliff and have a cigar in downtown Portsmouth. And there were these guys next to them at a cafe table that looked like they weren't from around here. They ended up striking up a conversation. Yeah. And, oh, why are you here? I'm in a band. And we're playing a gig. Oh, what band? Willie Nelson's band. Yeah. And they were also into cigars at that point. Sure. And so Cliff and James hooked them up with cigars and fast friends and let's pull our tables together. And so Willie's band was really uh, lovely to us, in particular B Spears, his former bass player, yeah. R.I.P.B., um, who passed, sadly. Um, and Mickey Raphael's harmonica player sure. was the two of them with uh, a couple of the other guys. So for the time that we were touring in the late 90s and stuff, we'd keep in touch with B. And they hooked us up with a guy in um, Franklin, Tennessee, who had... Uh, recorded like the last waltz by the band and right. Willie Stardust he mixed it at least if not recorded it and Roseanne Cash and a bunch yeah. of others Emmy Lou Harris so um they were just really sweet to us that's the gist there so yeah. um so yeah sadly we didn't hit the road with them but met right. met Willie a bunch of times right. really great guy right smoked cigars with Mickey Raphael which is pretty cool too <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean arguably yeah. Probably the second most famous harmonica player in the world. Uh, who, who would be the first? I would just say John Popper. No, John Popper. No, I, I mean John say, Popper. I didn't say the best. No, I no, no, no. Famous. He's certainly talented. I'm not beating up on John Popper. I just right. say like Mickey was laying it down for for, for, for sure. decades before well, I think, John Popper. I think people who <clears throat> are like super music fans <clears throat> would put Mickey Raphael up there. But if you walked up to 
10 people down on Main Street here. It's true. Or 10 people in 1995 yeah. on Main Street. Let's put it there. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's not fair. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of people. I mean, I'm perpetually right. stuck in the 90s. You're right. So uh, You're right. that's why I said second most famous. Name recognition, absolutely. For sure, for yeah. sure. And, you know, he was all over MTV with his harmonica belt, yeah. like, like Chewbacca's bandolier, mm-hmm. and just, you know. I saw them in the Spin Doctors at the UNH Fieldhouse. And uh, no, it was great. It was 19, what time? 90, what, two? Sounds it was a like great it. show. It yeah. was a great show, you know. Um, well, and that was sort of the crest of, like, that wave of, like, that was probably, like, the commercial peak. Dave Matthews Band notwithstanding, that was a commercial peak of, like, that era of jam bands. You know, those yeah. guys, it yeah. was... Blues Traveler 4 Absolutely. and Pocket Full of Kryptonite were huge records for yep. both of those bands. Yeah. So I saw, I saw. Uh, I was 19, you know? It was yeah, a big saw, rock show. It was, don't stare too hard at it, you know? It was just good times. I saw Screaming Trees, Soul Asylum, and the Spin Doctors at Great Woods together. All right. But it was. Soul Asylum opened, Screaming Trees was in the middle. And Spin Doctors played, and it was a very, very rowdy show, actually. Hmm. And they ripped up the lawn at Great Woods. Oh, no and, way. you know, Chris Barron from Spin Doctors had to come out at the beginning, and he's like, hey, man, like, if you guys keep ripping up the lawn, we're not going to play. And I just remember at the time, I'm like, I, like we're not going to do that yeah. for you. Don't, don't worry about it. It's, <laughs> the lawn is safe. Now, uh, you know, but I think, yeah. and I think that particular running order was just, they had, like, they had probably sold like three million copies where like Screaming Trees it's like gone gold and like Soul Asylum had sold like one million copies at that point. Mm. So I think it was just like and they were all on the same label, so I'm yeah. sure it's like you guys will be the headliners, but I was like yeah. it was a very like front loaded show. Huh. But, yeah. Yeah. But great band, great bass player, Mark White, fantastic bass player. Mm. And he's a southpaw, so you know. That's right. Yeah. Mickey Raphael, huh? Hmm. John Popper. But yeah, I mean, if Willie happens to buy this podcast, we're happy to go out on the road with him right now. Sure, that's still something he wants to sort of close the loop on. Sure, I'm. Uh... But here's a here's a story for you though. Yeah. So one time, Zuzu was on tour in the Midwest, and we had a uh, canceled gig in Chicago. Yeah, and the booker just felt so bad about it. It was like you know, big name came swooping through, and they had to bump us. And we were yeah. like, we were like, it's it's fine, you know. Um, that ended up working out for us in the long run, but that just happened to be the weekend that Farm Aid was happening oh, okay. in Oaklawn, Illinois. And so we called up B and, um, oh, before that, actually, Willie came and played the casino ballroom. Okay. And uh, I was <laughs> I was on vacation with my wife, so I missed it. But the rest of the guys pulled our school bus, the bull, next to the Willie bus behind the casino, just parked next to it because that's where the buses go, I Scott. I was at that right? show. All right. And so uh, afterwards, their band came and hung out on our bus and told road stories, road stories for yeah. like three or four hours. And at one point, we had these um, oval stickers that were red with white lettering that said, say Zuzu. I don't know what sort of dark magic they use, but they still adhere. Like you can find them wherever we put them still to right. this day. Right. Probably shouldn't like uh, be a substance that's allowed to be used. But, <laughs> um, but uh, Cliff offered Mickey a sticker yeah. and Mickey thought he was offering the whole stack of them. Yeah. So it was this awkward moment where Mickey like took the whole stack and Cliff went, uh, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Right. All right. You know, and just was like, I guess. And Mickey like put the whole stack in his pocket. Um, they must get handed weird shit all the time. Sure. Right? So, um, anyway, fast forward six or nine months and we, we call up B and we're like, B we're in town. We need some, 
we need to hook us up with some passes to farm aid. And he's like, like, well, no, no, no. We, uh, he brought us, he brought us on the band bus and he's like, guys, it's say Zuzu and their head tuner, uh, their head, uh, roadie, this guy, Tommy, the tuner was like, say Zuzu, I've been putting your shit up all over creation. So even as of like five or 10 years ago, those stickers were all over Willie's road cases. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you're, you know, somebody from Guilford, uh, you know, when they saw them play there or maybe Meadowbrook or wherever. Anyway, yeah. Um, so that, yeah, they were, it was true. They were fucking just put them up everywhere. And uh, so we crashed Farm Aid and, um, yeah, that was an amazing time. But Nice. Yeah. I, um, I took my mom to that Willie Nelson show. Nice. And a fun story that I used to tell people all the time about that. So I went to two shows, two nights in a row at the casino ballroom. And I took my mom to see Willie Nelson, go through the front door, you know, they check ID cause they sell alcohol. Mm-hmm. Next day I went back, did not take my mom to the show. Uh, I went to go see <laughs> corrosion of conformity. All right. Um, which, uh, for those of you listening who, who are not familiar, they're, they're like a, you know, heavy riff rock, um, former punk rock band now mm-hmm. kind of like mid nineties Metallica sound. But, mm-hmm. So I go in, go up, hand the guy my ID. It's the same guy who had ID'd me the night before. He looks at it, looks at me, looks down again. He goes, were you here last night? And I was like, yeah. He's like, that's weird. And just handed it back to me, which I feel like now enough time has passed that like, it, like it's sort of okay to listen to everything and kind yeah. of everyone does. Now, you know, most people aren't listening to full albums now. People just have Spotify and whatever. So, you know tracks bounce in and out but i think back then having you know a broader musical thing was not as necessarily even even if it happened it wasn't talked about as much hmm. so but yeah i think i think you might be right yeah. i mean i think uh, we certainly i want i wonder you know i don't uh i know how i listen to music yeah. these days but back then you know probably was listening to more complete albums at any one given time that i was sitting sure. down or driving probably to listen to records or whatever when you when you guys were putting albums together like back in the day and because you have a new album out now as well um i noticed it's usually pretty balanced there's usually like five or six songs that you wrote five or Mm -hmm. six songs that cliff wrote um is that has it um do you guys try and be like, all right, we're going to do one of mine, one of yours, as far as like the running order of the album, or just kind of like, just kind of works out that way? Yeah. It just, we've never been, um, you mean in terms of like album order? Yeah, as far as like the flow of an album. like. Yeah, no, we, uh, we have always tried to put the album in the order that we think the songs want to go in. Sure. I think now... Um, is the first time where we, um, this latest record, you know, we wanted to make sure that, um, no time to lose, no time to lose is the name of the new record. Yep. That it was, you know, even down the middle, um, unless we uh, got to a point where it was clear that, you know, an extra song of his or an extra song of mine was like the, made the better record, right? Stronger songs. Um, yeah. And it just, you know, we, thus far that we've had success, you know, yeah. We're one for one in the new era in that sure. regard. But, uh, I, you know, early on in the records, um, you know, and Cliff would say the same, 
I just had more of the material and I was just the, uh, basically, you know, we all, James Cliff and I all wanted to be the lead singer. And I was the only one when it came time to play my high school that had the, the balls really to sing it. Um, not, not that I justified it at sure, that point, you know, sure. I had girly voice that I sang with at that right. point. Um, and it just sort of just happened that way. And, you know, yeah. Cliff is, uh, you know, we love singing together. So it's really a joy to be able to do that again. Yeah. Always harmony was always something that was really important to, uh, to all of us. And, um, you know, he, his songwriting, um, especially since bull, um, and every mile was really the songs, the cliff songs on that record, which is the last record we put out before our, our reuniting, um, are just brilliant songs. So, yeah. Um, but I don't think in any of those times, I, I, it was less, um, it was always whatever makes the best record. Yeah. Um, it just happened that for the bulk of the early years that I had more songs. Gotcha. Um, but he has, you know, we both went on after Zuzu to make solo stuff and yeah, it's just, um, at this point it's, you know, we just want to care for the relationships and make sure everybody feels like they have, yeah. you know, um, they're seen and heard yeah so in the original run of the band mm-hmm. you guys were a four piece yeah. um with uh every mile the rhythm section changed uh before that mm-hmm. record your brother went went back to school or finished school yeah or, yeah masters mm-hmm. yeah so but you guys obviously decided we're going to keep going mm-hmm. um yeah we we put out bull in 98 yeah. yeah which at that point was our far and away our most um, well-received mm-hmm. and most successful record. And we were managed um, by, we were making it at Big Sound in Portland, or Westbrook, Maine. Um, yeah. And at that point, Bill Beasley was the uh, manager of Rustic Overtones, and they were having their whole Arista signing thing. And, um, yeah, it was uh, a couple of months ago. Nice. Yeah. And so those guys were around. Bill's office was upstairs, and we just and Bill managed us, you know, and yeah. uh, so started shopping us around. Um, and we gave it a go and started talking to a label that became New West. Yeah. In that period, um, and when that kind of went kablooey, um, Steve decided to um, go to flight school, which is still what he does. He flies private jets now. And, oh wow! And James went to the University of Denver for um, masters in international relations. Yeah. So, um, but we, um, still wanted to capitalize on the momentum and John Pisty actually, who was the bass player on every mile in the last three years of our playing, um, was uh, actually our, our road guy. Yeah. So our road manager, roadie, jack of all trades yeah. before we were like, here, play bass, you know, yeah. um, he's a great, uh, guitar player in his own right. And, um, Tim, we had played some shows early in the nineties from Portsmouth and he was in, you know, Boston area at that yeah, point. And yeah. So we kidnapped him. He, he, he self-imposed kidnapping. He <laughs> joined the band and didn't put out much of a, yeah. much of a fight. Nice. So what was in the initial run after every mile came out, like how much time were you guys on the road? And like, what was that? Like what eventually led you to band calling in a day yeah um well i mean so we were in the states um always independent mm-hmm. uh and independently recording funding promoting booking right. 
um, everything until really the last couple years of the band. Um, so it was a lot of work. Yeah. And I think um, after, uh, so we started talking to, you know, we Bill, Bill shopped us around to a bunch of labels and, um, you know, I think, you know, people that play Americana or as it was called in the 90s, alt country. Right. Um, I think Bill was our manager at a time when the industry at large was watching to see if this kind of thing took. Yeah. And when it didn't sort of blow up in a way that arguably you could say that it, it has in some ways sure. now, um, that they were only going to take the cream of the crop in relation to that. And uh, so, you know, lots of shopping of Seizuzu in the late 90s and got passed. Um, but this New West thing, James and Steve bow out. We actually had Drew Wyman from Thanks to Gravity, who was our bass player for a minute yeah. with, with Tim. And um, we had negotiated a deal with New West. Um, actually, this is before Tim, because Ken Coomer from Wilco had agreed to play on the, on the record. So Drew from Gravity and Ken from Wilco at that point. Um, had Gravity, was I forget the timeline, had they already signed their deal with Capital at that point? Yeah, that had already come and gone. Come and gone, yep. So this is 2000, maybe? Oh, yeah. Um, so we had a different manager now. This is, we had our manager, Amy, who managed Slopperbone, our pals from Texas. Anyway, so we had negotiated a deal with New West. Ken was going to play drums. Drew was going to play bass. A guy named John D. Graham, who's a great uh, songwriter, um, just been all around the world, um, and uh, was going to produce. It was all lined up, and, and it, you know they pulled the plug. Um, didn't get to put the pen to paper, just the deal memo. Was yeah. There. So that was a blow. And um, so we never really – we started to try to play a little bit with Drew, but I think once that label thing fell apart, um, I think he was just like, here we go again because he had already been chewed up and spit out by sure. Capital. So that's when John Pisty got enlisted and we started touring um, again. So we would tour – you know, we'd only go out like um, four, maybe four times a year, three yeah. or four times a year um, domestically. And then we got over to Italy. I can't remember how many times, three or four times yeah. in total. Somewhere along the line, some European champions of ours um, secured us an agent in Europe. So we got over to uh, the Netherlands and then that turned into the the, the deal with Blue Rose that it helped fund every mile, and um, but our last domestic tour that we went on was really this um, remarkably ass kick kicking of a tour. Like yeah. Where we, um, I tell the story when I there's a song on my first solo record called Hope Arkansas a True Story. Um, let me pause here in case you want to edit this whole story. <laughs> out. Um, so uh, we had a bus called the Bull. It was an '86 B. 600 20 passenger school bus full size um full size wheelbase it wasn't the short like the provider was a bus you know it was just shorter and um so we toured in that thing for like seven years anyway we were leaving to go on tour to south by southwest we had a whole bunch of shows it was the first time we ever printed a tour t-shirt with the names of the cities on it yeah we'd never missed a show on tour that was the first you know morning sign if our band was a movie you know don't do it don't put the names on the shirt anyway 
We left in a blizzard. Um, I got outvoted. Hmm. It took us five hours to get to Worcester. Damn. It was us and plows. Um, 20,000 pounds of bus sliding all over the place. Right. I don't know whose house we stayed at. We got there at like two in the morning. Yeah. Got five hours of shitty sleep on someone's floor on a dog bed or something. Right. Got up and started going to Albany and the throughway was closed and we just didn't make it. Yeah. We got to Buffalo. That was good. And then we were on our way to Chicago. We finally, by the way, at this point had an, a domestic agent too. This guy, Kevin French, um, who um, went on to become a big deal. Um was booking us and anyway it was just i mean it was a nightmare we played chicago and we found out that iowa city was not a thing i mean it, it exists but our playing there wasn't a thing uh, uh, and so was the like our, the itinerary we had went chicago iowa city dallas which is a long drive and a long drive yeah and then the iowa city wasn't a gig and that day to drive uh, was not a thing either so it was i it was chicago on one day and dallas the next whoa yeah and we weren't flying we were driving so yeah. we did the math and Cliff and I got, we were just horsing around. We were too old to be horsing around. And like, you know, he, I, I, it was my fault. He basically fell on his face. He dove without getting his hands up and basically dove on his cheek. Um, and he just looked fucked up, you know, he just big purple cheek. Yeah. Um, and uh, it became abundantly clear that we were like, you know, nearly 30 year old men acting like teenagers. Right. Um, so we play in Chicago. We didn't have time to even stick around and do anything other than get on the bus and start driving to Dallas. Yeah. And we were going to do it in shifts of two. So me and, uh, and one of the guys were driving and we were, we stopped for gas and we didn't know until we were kind of down the road that, uh, that we accidentally put diesel in it. Oh yeah. Sure. So then you get really in tune with your vehicle on the road. So it started acting weird and and I was like, what's going on? And so we pulled over in this like children of the corn rest stop with like a locked bathrooms and a Pepsi machine that didn't work. Right. And uh, just smoke started pouring out of the engine. And um, we were like, well, that's it. That's the end of the bus. It's the yeah. end of the tour. You know, turns out if you put ga uh, diesel in a gas engine, you're just an asshole. It's not ruined. Right. So the next day, this guy towed us and, um, you know pulled out the cook stove and made some breakfast in the lobby and people were looking at us and called our manager, Amy and said, Hey, Amy, uh, Dallas ain't happening either. And she's like, what the fuck's going on? We're like, I don't know, man, we're trying. Yeah. So we're like, Oh, well on to Houston, yeah. get some, get the engine cleaned out before we left. I forgot to tell you it was a $2,500 repair. Yeah. So we're already just losing our ass. And, uh, outside of Hope, Arkansas, the back two left tires exploded at 60 mm -hmm. miles an hour and it took like hours for us to get, you know, quote, comparable tires. Right. And uh, so that was you no know, Houston. And then we get to Austin and we realize the front two tires are completely bald, mm -hmm. like Telly Savalas bald, like right. bald, bald, bald. Right. Like not like they can get a couple more miles out of them, like smoked. Right. Um, and none of us really wanted to experience the front tire exploding. Right. So we sold it to a palm reader in uh, Austin, Texas. Excuse me. We sold the bus to a church and bought a Suburban from a Palm Reader. Oh, so, okay. Right? So nice. that was what we did. Um, and uh, there's a little video about our sort of story that you can find online. And uh, the guys from Wilco were there, not Tweety, but the rest of the guys were playing this thing we were playing. And, and Jay Bennett was like, you guys can't sell this bus. I'm like, man, you want to buy it? Like, you can right. buy it. You know, trade. Right. Or trade your real bus for our fucking shitty, like, <laughs> ad hoc right. tour bus. Um so, yeah, we, we sold it to a Meals on Wheels church organization yeah. and bought a, an 82 Suburban from a Palm Reader on South Lamar. 
and they dropped the transmission in Memphis. Yeah. And so then we were stuck again, $1,600 repair. And we were like, while we're there, let's go to a famous studio, Ardent, and record a record. Yeah. And so that's where we made every mile. We recorded 17 songs in one day. Oh, wow. Flew back down to finish it. FedEx lost the two-inch tapes. Yeah, dude. It's You asked me how, why did the yeah, band yeah, break yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, So are you, are you picking it up right. a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really a remarkable story. We flew down with a guy. Memphis is the like home base for FedEx. Yeah. We Two of us drove. Two of us flew. That was the cheap way. So two of us drove to Memphis to finish the record, and two of us flew. Flight was overbooked. The guy who sat in between was a, a big wig, a very nice guy who worked at FedEx. We're chit-chatting, and it turns out my high school drummer works for him. And he's like, no way. So connection made. He's like, here's my card. Let me know if you need something comped. I was yeah. like, totally. Right. We will. The two-inch tapes. They got lost. And uh, Cliff Bitch on this little message board with like 200 members, like about FedEx sucking. One of the guys on that message board worked at the lost and found warehouse at FedEx. Yeah. Took it personal uh, that, that FedEx had messed up, put together an army of pals and found, found them. them. Wow. Yeah. That was every mile. And got it back to you, obviously. Got it back to us. We mixed it. We put it out. And then um, it was just, you know, it's just, it's no one's fault. Uh, you know, our manager and our agent, uh, domestic agent or overseas agent and the label, it's just, game of telephone and communication um, meant that nothing was firing. Right, finally had like other people doing other things we wanted to offload. Yeah. And we were just exhausted, you know. Yeah. And so like people, artists like, you know, I remember thinking like artists like Kathleen Edwards, right, who plays a similar style of music to us. Sure. But, and I'm not beating up on us, her first record, Failure, is fucking amazing. Yeah. It is, it's easily one of my top ten yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah. Her songs are amazing and heart-wrenching. Yeah. At every, you know, Letterman, she seemed like she was on Letterman every other week. She was on Leno or whatever else. She made the whole circuit. All the press was good. Um, she toured around the world. I remember, you know, reading an article about her band had to get day jobs when they were off the road. Yeah. And I remember thoughts like, man, if if she can do that, and they can't make a living wage. Right. I think, you know, each, each of us had our own sort of version of that. And I know Cliff had always wanted to go back to school yeah. for ethnomusicology, which he did. So I think it was a, a slow buildup of a series of, you know, classic, not particularly exotic, sure. you know, um, things that led to the demise of the band. And, and so before we actually went over to play our final European tour, Cliff was like, I'm smoked. He's like, you can take the band name and keep going if you want to. And I was just like, yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. It's not like, I don't feel like, it starts to feel like John Nolan's Say Zuzu, you know? Sure. It starts to feel like the guy, the one guy who has the rights to the name. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like three generations of his family playing in the band. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, I think Rat, right now, the only original member is the drummer. Right. Yeah. Just like, like, so arguably the fifth most recognizable yeah, person. Yeah. You're like, band. cool. Right. I guess. But, so what was the what was the time frame between when Zuzu called it quits and when you made your first solo record? Well, um, 
in there, uh, so for the people, and the three people who are listening to this that are familiar with my first record, When the Summers Lasted Long. Um, Which is a great album, by the way. Thank you. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott, you were saying. <laughs> uh, Mary, Won't You Come Along was written at the end of Zuzu. Waiting was written at the end of Zuzu. All Dried Up, which we called Store, was a Zuzu song. There's a bunch of songs that Zuzu, that, that were almost on every mile. Yeah. Um, and when it became clear that uh, that the Cliff songs were the kind of the center, right. then it became clear to choose which songs of mine kind of went that way, right? So, um, so those songs, you know, when Zuzu broke up, I was kind of like, well, what, what the hell? You know, am I supposed to... I, I felt like those are some of the best songs I had written to that point. Yeah. And I was like, am I supposed to not put them out? Right. So... I started tinkering. I had, I had purchased some humble recording gear. Um, and uh, so I recorded that record myself. Nobody would accuse me of sounding hi-fi, but <laughs> um, it was um, it was an awesome artistic experience. But that was so – that came out in 2005, and we broke up in 2003. Yeah. So I think between 2003 and 2004, it was, you know – learning how to record while making my record, yeah. you know, and then, um, but some of it was, our, some of it predated the breakup of the band. Some of them yeah. could have been, say, mm-hmm. Zuzu songs. Yeah, there are, say, Zuzu versions of, um, of a bunch of those songs. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you have one other solo record or two? Other? I do. I have one other. Yeah. Um, I have one called Everything Has Changed, which yeah. was released in 2013. Yeah, because I was was working at the farm at Eastman's Corner ah, at the time, and you, yeah. you, there was some event that they were doing, and it was either you had just put it out mm-hmm. or were just about to put yeah. it out. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, I mean, at that point, so that first record I made kind of accidentally started my recording studio. Mm-hmm. Um, Sid from the Hotel Alexis said to Laurel Bronze who was saying to Sid, I need somebody to like record and produce my record for, for like no money. Right. <laughs> she was like, you should get John. His, his record's cool. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, she was, so she asked me and I was like, really? You, know, you buy me a meatball sub and an iced coffee? Right. She's like, yes. I'm like, really? Yes. Nice. So, um, I appreciate her taking that. We, you know, we spent a year making her first record and, um, but that was another useful experience. And then a few shortly years later I had, you know, some actual gear and um and a day rate and yeah. and i started you know recording i had her studio for about 10 years milltown but um which in is the, in rollinsford in rollinsford yep started at the original the zuzu practice space was then called the bullpen okay um actually the uh, terrapin station um building for the new market people who knew about it that was the place where i recorded my record and elsa cross and roy davis and uh, a bunch of other people but uh, but yeah, moved to Rollinsford and had two different places there. But um, so whereas every mile was kind of Zezuzu collapsing at the finish line, everything has changed. It was kind of like me collapsing at the finish line for a minute, you know. Sort yeah. of, I was recording a lot of other people and trying to make a buck and, and yeah. playing around still. And so, um, you know, by the time I was done work, Shifting over to recording me again is kind of like going to work after work. Sure, and that sort of took for away sure. some of the magic of it. For oh me. yeah, I, would, uh, I mean, most people I know who are artists of any 
you know, any discipline. Mm-hmm. When that discipline becomes how they're paying their mortgage and buying their groceries, doing it for yourself often becomes, you know, the last thing you want to do. I have, mm-hmm. you know, a girl that I was dating for several years who's a tattoo artist too. She's an amazing painter too, but now that tattooing is her, you know, Income. nine to five, yeah. five days a week, it's maybe once every like six months that she'll sit down and actually make some art for herself. Mm. So it's kind of, I get it. I get it. But it's also, I would imagine it's a lot of the magic is lost on making your own stuff just because it's kind of like, you're just not enough. I mean, there's only so much gas in the tank. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, Cliff, Cliff, wasn't I don't think as burnt out on music yeah um you know he had found um you know an awesome girlfriend who's become his wife and now they have a bunch of great kids and you know she was finishing up her PhD you know and that was something that Cliff had always aspired to yeah and it was just like a natural I think um I think we're all burnt out on like you know sort of again the not to feel sorry for herself, but the sort of the perpetual heartache, right? Of chasing sure. your dream and it not working out. Um, but somewhere along the line, when I was shutting my studio and stuff, I was just heartbroken about music in general. And yeah. I, I never had a shortage of, um, of musical ideas. You know, um, I had, you know, again, back to the mid nineties and all country and stuff. I just had the pleasure of playing with Rhett Miller from the old 97s yeah, here at yeah. the church the other day. That's and, awesome. He was awesome for me. He's a lovely guy. And it was great to just be able to hang out and chat with him. And I was saying about, you know, it feels like uh, only coming back to music really in the last couple of years, I, did I realize that every song that I wrote was born to run mm-hmm. in one way or another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you can't write born to run when you're, <laughs> you know, late forties, right. 50, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can't really, you can't write it authentically. Sure. Like, you know, we just get in the car, baby, and we'll drive until we like figure out a new life. Yeah. You know, right. you can't do that. You right. know, if you're paying attention, you've seen some shit, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, the studio was great and it was also a bummer. You know, I had a young family too. I love that work. I love working with other artists. I love helping them do it. But when I was busy, it meant I was working nights and weekends. When I'm working nights and weekends, I don't see my family. Right. And when I'm not working, I see my family. But I'm also like, I can't afford electricity, you know? So um, I was just bummed to not have a new musical vision. And so when I started chasing the straight job, you know, that I have today, um, I just kind of put music on the shelf for a minute, which is why... It's so lovely that, um, you know, our new benefactors, Strolling Bones Records and George Fontaine, the guy who we had made that, he, he's the guy who owned and owns New West Records. Yeah. So that label that had, we had negotiated a deal with um, twice, by the way, um, he was just the owner. He wasn't involved in the day to day. So he takes a little bit too much responsibility for what went down 20 years ago, but you know, in the middle of the pandemic while we're all like making bread and figuring out what to do, he was, yeah. he was buying records and he bought the two records that he would have put out yeah. and, um, called, called me up in the middle of 20 summer, 2020 and was like, start talking to me. Like we just talk every week. Yeah. And, um, he was like, Hey man, he's like, I bought those records and I just got fucking pissed that I didn't put them out. Yeah. 
you know, do you own the masters? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, good, good. He's like, look, you know, I'm starting a new imprint off the new West thing. You know, do you, I want to put them out on vinyl. What do you think? And I was like, yeah. yeah. You know, essentially, as I jokingly say, he called up and he's like, hey, 20 years ago. Sorry about that. Right. Want to do that now? <laughs> um, and it just led to this really lovely reconnecting, um, you know, you know, he had a, he said he had a recurring nightmare that he would be in a bar and listen to some band and like, nice. And he'd go up to the front of the crowd and it was us. And he'd be like, damn it. You know? Right. So when he said multiple times, you know, this is his in part, like making it right. Hmm. Um, and there was never any bitterness on our side yeah. of things, you know? Um, but that label and George and all the people he has and all the new West folks have turned out to be really great. Um, but I think what was waiting for us, um, after that, wow, we're going to really, we're going to sign a domestic record deal. Right. Um, was, uh, the baggage of what we left, you know? Yeah. And so the first song that I wrote for the new record is one that's not on it. You know, it's called songs. I don't want to sing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I had to figure out. You know, if I'm not writing Born to Run, what am I writing? Sure, sure. So that still continues, you know. I'm, uh, but uh, I think, you know, and the other thing that happened was in, before George called us in 2019, there was that Elvis Room 20th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Which sort of set up the Sterling Bones deal nicely in that, you know, none of us were playing. Yeah. And we got asked to do it, and we were like, fuck yeah, let's do it. But then we were also like, let's do it as a blended family, you know? Because yeah. we had Pisty and Steve, uh, Pisty and and, uh, and Tim and James and Steve, right? Two rhythm sections. Yeah. Um, and everybody plays a little bit of something. Yeah. So those, um, we ended up doing two shows at the press room, and, um, you know, we did like an, a little set as a six-piece ensemble, and we did... One zoo, as I like to call it, with Steve and James. And then yeah. we did an ensemble, and then we did two zoo, and then we did the ensemble closing. And um, uh, that worked really well, you know? Nice. Um, so when we did the deal, um, it was, well, let's let's do that. You know, let's, we've... And that was a new thing, right? We had played the historical catalog as a six-piece, but we'd never put some new songs together as a six-piece. Yeah. So the whole, you know, process for No Time to Lose, the record that came out in March of this year was sort of figuring out, all right, well, how do we do this? You yeah. know, like, how do we figure out which songs Tim's plays drums on and which songs James plays yeah. bass on? Well, it turns out Pissy didn't want to play any bass, so James played, you know, most of the bass. He had an accident during the recording where he smacked his skull and had a brain bleed, and that was scary. Um, yeah, I saw that you played some bass on the record. Yeah, me, Pissy, and James ended up playing bass on it. Um, and um, so for a minute, it was serious. And we were like, holy shit, is James going to die? You know, yeah. Steve broke his leg in a backcountry skiing accident before. It was like, man, what the hell? But, um, you know, we're back, you know, yeah. and it's uh, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, if, you know, <laughs> George called up and said, sorry about that. You know, if he had said, do you want to go out for a bite? Would have been like, yeah. Right. Instead, he's like, do you want to go hang out in the studio and make music? Like, right. I'm like, yes. Yep. Yes, I do. Yeah. So uh, it feels good. It feels good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know, it's it's great that Seizuzu is an active band, not mm -hmm. just you know an image in, in the rearview mirror again. Mm -hmm. So you guys in 2022 put out the compilation, which is kind of like a best of what you did um 
Is there any plans to physically re-release the individual albums down yes. the road? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. I had forgotten that from the timeline. Yeah, here again is that retrospective. And um, Sterling Bones bought our back catalog. Yeah. And so starting this year, um, Every Mile is going to come out, be re-released on vinyl, right. remastered and, and re-released. And CD2 probably. Um, and then Bull. Yeah. Uh, will follow shortly thereafterwards, and then the other you know three records that they bought will come out nice. in time to take these turns and highway signs and driving songs and um, the self-titled record. Um, nice. Did they buy the live record? I can't remember, right. but they. Um, Do you guys own the master to that as well? Um, we owned the masters to everything. Yeah. Um, and but we you know we didn't pull a Bob Dylan and sell it for like hundred million dollars or anything. But right. yeah, right. so we we felt like we have a, a good partnership um with a label that's um doing good things for the right reasons nice so we uh we've hitched our wagon yeah to, to the sterling bones fam and you're so we're i feel it's it's fitting that we're in the stone church yeah. in new market where we both live where yeah. where Tezuzu was sort of born in, yeah. in new market absolutely Durham new market yeah um, this is the place we aspired to play right and you you have rehearsal tonight for your solo band, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. So what's the, like, I know you have a, a day job now. How, how are you, you know, how do you balance the time for your solo band? Mm. Say Zuzu, you know, how, how does that all, all work? Uh, yeah. Having a family as well. Now. How do you, yeah. yeah. Um, well, my, um, day job's remote. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah. Um, but you know, getting the, the Zuzu thing sort of, you know, reinvigorating my desire to be active musically, Yeah. you know, you know, Tim's in North Carolina and Cliff's in Maryland and, you know, Steve's down the road in Exeter, but it's not, the point is, it's not easy for Zuzu to get together and just jam. Sure. Um, so Jeff Taylor's playing bass in Zuzu now, right. Mm -hmm. And play, played bass for me in a previous solo band of mine. Um, you know, James stepped away, just, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, something he just wanted to do and we were like, of course. So, yeah. you know, if he wants to come and play some tunes with us at a show here and there, and then, then I'm hopeful that's a thing that'll happen. But yeah. so anyway, a bunch of us are in New Hampshire, but it's not easy for us to play. And I had suddenly had more songs. Yeah. And so, uh, I want to play. So I put together a band, you know, and it's Jeff on bass and Zach Tremblay is playing guitar and Rick Habib, uh, the only drummer in New Hampshire, as it turns out, yeah. um, playing drums, he plays in all of the bands. Um, so yeah. Uh, how does it work? Um, yeah, well, you know, again, speaking of good partners, you know, Jamie, um, here at the stone church, um, this stone church is an important place, you know, yeah. uh, press room, Prescott Park Arts Festival. There are a bunch of great, you know, venues, Word Barn and Exeter. Yeah. And, you know, that's, those aren't the extent of them. It's a, I think during the pandemic, it became clear how delicate the arts ecosystem is. So, yeah. Um, a little tangent there, but um, she, you know, we work together a lot and, and she lets us uh, rehearse here. So we're doing that. Um, we're recording a record here, actually, nice. upstairs by yours truly. And um, so uh, Sterling Bones is also going to re-release my own solo stuff. And um, we haven't they haven't heard the new record yet, but I'm certainly going to run it by them. And yeah. Hopefully they'll pick it up. 
Did your solo records come out on CD or, or uh, on vinyl first time or just CD? No, just CD. Right. Yeah. CD. Yeah. And they're on the, all the streamies, of course. Sure. But yeah, it's a juggling act, you know? It's yeah. a juggling act. Having a remote a remote job makes it easier. Like we're talking, we're going to get down to North Carolina and Georgia in the fall, Zuzu that is. Yeah. Um, and we'll get down to Baltimore. We went down to Baltimore and played some shows and filmed our first music video, which is cool. Nice. So if you're listening to this and you haven't heard it, um, you know, go on to YouTube when instead of working and watch the Say Zuzu video for Waking Up and check out that little, there's an animated video. Have you seen the animated video of mm -hmm. us? Oh, no. So Chuck Prophet, um, was on New West in the early aughts, and, and he and a creative partner put together a little animated Say Zuzu video. Yeah. A little two-minute history. It's kind of amusing. Nice. I've never been a cartoon before, Scott, so that was cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, there's some time to be wasted on YouTube with Say Zuzu stuff. But it's hard. It's juggling and stuff, but it's also awesome, you know? So yeah. um, playing locally is a little easier, you know, playing here in July again with my band. And, yeah. Um, you know, at Mississippi's and just trying to play some local watering holes where the people are. And it's, yeah. we don't have to worry about a draw and we can just loosen up the new stuff. Mississippi's is a great spot. Yeah. I've done, uh, Earth Eagle North too. Yeah. 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 God, I've, so, I, bringing it all back to, you know, former Best Buy coworkers. I used to work with Cecil. I, nice. I Best great Buy guy. A picker too. Yeah. 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 Uh, what's Cecil the third? Oh, C3. Yeah. Nice yeah. one. Yeah. And uh, so the BBQ master. You got it. You All got right. it. And I had him on this podcast. They had been open maybe like three months. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, you know what? I'm ashamed to say I haven't been yet. Yeah. But even from afar, you can tell when there's something happening. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's a sense of community there. And For again, sure. that's the other thing that, you know, I didn't didn't do this on purpose. Um, uh, name my, my solo band Good Company. But that's a theme that we talk about as a band a lot, you know, the, um, you know, last summer I started that band by accident. Um, I was trying to start a different band and one of the people couldn't make it. Yeah. Uh, so I said to Rick and Jeff, well, I, I've got these new songs. And then suddenly Zach moved back from LA and yeah. suddenly, I'm like, well, you're playing guitar now. Yeah. We played a Bob Dylan night uh, last year. And, uh, and I was like, well, let's come play these songs, Zach. And, um, but yeah, trust I think is, something that came up in those discussions where we were all trying to do something a little bit different. And one of the takeaways from the 2019 Zuzu sets um, that I wished, I just really wished that somebody had told 20 something Zuzu. Yeah. So for any 20 somethings that happened across this podcast, um, be who you are, because if you be authentic to your own artistic vision, because if you, if you play something that you don't like and it succeeds, then you tether yourself to something that isn't you. Sure. And um, you deny yourself the opportunity to be liked for who you are. Right. So if, when I think about 90s Zuzu, you know, the jam scene was king. You know, there's all sorts of other bands. Yeah. But the bands that were doing the best were the jam bands. Yeah. And I wish that I... We had had, we, we did fine, but the point is, is like, we, we weren't always as comfortable being the roots rock alien in that period. You right, know? right. Anyway, long story medium. Last summer when we were starting that band, um, John Nolan and Good Company, we talked about community and we talked about trusting one another and, um, you know, probably all the post COVID shit, every life's short, yeah. that's forever. Yeah. If somebody's playing something cool, tell them. 
Yeah. You know, like yeah. how often do we do that? Right. Yeah. Like, man, your guitar playing is great. Like, man, awesome job at the drums or whatever it is. Right. We don't, I don't think go out of our way enough to say those things. And so oh, we, sure. we created this little space for that band and, um, that turned into slow cooker sessions, which is a community oriented thing I did last winter here at the church. Again, partnering with Jamie. And, uh, so that band, uh, John Nolan, good company or Jano and Gco as we call it. Um, <laughs> Mr. Sippy's Earth Eagle, those are places where community is happening and we want to be a part of it. And absolutely. Um, so that's like a central sort of theme to certainly Zuzu, but more deliberately um, the good company thing just by accident. Yeah. Um, it's easier for us to uh, get caffeinated and ramble at each other about the profundity of connection and trust right. and stuff. So, right on. Right um, on. Yeah. Cool. I'm psyched to hear that record. When you yeah. Do that. So it's uh that's a, that's a pretty good place to almost wrap it up. So it's just the the lightning round I previously yeah. mentioned before. So six questions. Yeah. Um, do you remember what the first live show you ever went to it was like concert? First live concert. Ooh, first like either like, that you were dragged concert? to or first musical that... experience where I went to see other people play or first concert. Either first or. concert was Sting at the Cumberland County Civic Center on yeah. the. Uh, Is it the dream of the blue turtle? No, tour? it's the one after that. The nothing like the sun. Nothing like the sun tour. Yeah. Great killing band, by the way. Killing, yeah. killing band. Kenny Kirkland, Brett from Marsalis, Omar Hakim. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Uh, just killing band. Uh, first musical experience. I don't know. I remember being enamored with the band that played my uh, grandparents' fiftieth uh, wedding anniversary and wanted to like hold the electric guitar. I was probably ten. Um, but yeah. Mm. Nice. I um my first concert ever was uh, uh, Peter Paul and Mary, hmm. but nice, yeah, nice, nice bowl. The first mine was the Beatles. Just kidding, I'm sorry. I was like, wait a minute, yeah, not that much older than me. Um, <laughs> Should just lie. First time that I remember actually like having the realization that uh, bands were just people mm-hmm. playing music was actually my. Project graduation, the uh, Mount Washington boat, like mm-hmm. our class got on there and, you know, a band mm-hmm. plays and that band was having Stemurgatroid. Nice. And because um, I used to take bass lessons from Tim mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I told him this a while ago, like. <laughs> Man, I, you're, you're supposed to, isn't Project Graduation about not drinking? It is. Don't you want to drink your face off when having Stemurgatroid's playing it? As a joke. Right. As right. A, is a poorly planned dig at Tim McCoy well, he in particular. Could, he could totally tell <laughs> that I was not having fun at all. I was just yeah. kind of sulking. In the, you yeah. know, because people are dancing, yeah. having a good time. I'm a big dude. I didn't like to dance because I didn't like to draw attention to myself. Things have changed a lot yeah. since then. But he's like, hey, man, you don't seem psyched to be here. And I was like, ah, I'm just not having fun. And he's like, don't go anywhere that you're not having fun. Like, And I was like. Whoa. I thought about that for a while afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Wisdom. Yeah. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. I, 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 that, was, yeah. that was my guess. That was yeah. my guess. But. I mean, the answer is yes. Right. The real answer is yes. Yeah. To be clear. Yes, as in indeed, not yes, as in progressive English rock. From- yeah, as in like, you know, it's one of the things I do that pisses my kids off when they give me a, a this or that. And I'm right. like, yes. You yeah. Know. Would you like coffee or cake? Yes. 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 Yes, yes to both. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. 
Nice. You might be the first yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, Star there. Trek, dude. All right. Yeah, 100%. All right. Love Star Wars. Again, yeah. the answer is yes. Right. But Star Trek, 100%. Right. Yeah. Uh, cats or dogs? Mm, dogs. All right. Yeah. All right. Love them both, but dogs. Yeah, for sure. Um, and this doesn't have to be the A number one top of the mountain, but a favorite book of yours. Hmm. Um, Grapes of Wrath. Nice. Uh, I'm also going to say put in, I'm going to just put out a little book list. Uh, I really loved uh, John Adams by Dave McCullough. That was really fascinating. Um, the Theory and Practice of Group Psychotherapy by Irvin Yalom. All right. It's <laughs> uh, a nice light reading. Yeah. No, I mean, for for clinical nerds, right. that shit is amazing. What else? I don't know. Hang on. Let me just look at my Kindle because sure. I never get asked about books. Um, how about you? What's your, what's your, what's your, uh, a number one book? Um, yeah. either watership down hmm. or also light reading. Or, well, yeah. A little, little <laughs> light reading or, yep. uh, Mark Danielowski's house of leaves, Ooh, okay. which is a, it's, it's a phy- physically difficult book to read because it's like printed all jumbled and it, it's basically it's kind of a haunted house story but like there's not a ghost and like the house itself is a spirit and people get lost inside these other realms in the in the book and um i remember reading the last 150 pages on the eve of my older brother's wedding in timishwara romania under a blanket with a flashlight on because I didn't want to wake anyone up and the flashlight was slowly dying. Oh, no. So I was like trying to read fast enough to finish it. So wow. but, uh, it's a, it's a heavy book, but it's uh, it's pretty great. Mm. Do you remember that singer Poe? Yeah. Uh, her brother is the guy who wrote it. Um, oh. Yeah. They're both great grand kids of Edgar Allan Poe. That's why she took Oh, no shit. Poe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe the most important question I will ask you yeah. today, what's your favorite dinosaur? Ooh. Uh, what's my favorite dinosaur? Yeah. Probably a chicken. That's fair. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's got to be uh, chickens are hilarious. Right. And of course, you know, they're dinosaurs. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. And thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you.